This is episode 137 with Matt Mullinex. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and your personal flow coach, helping you optimize your life one conversation at a time. Today, we are joined by the founder and CEO of Huron, former Brown football player, Matt Mullinex. Matt grew up a kid with bad skin, something that as a swimmer can relate to, having this chronically itchy skin seemingly all the time. As an athlete, Matt said his skin took a beating, a serious beating between football helmets and sweaty workout clothes. He wasn't doing himself or his skin many favors. Finally, in his late 20s, he began to experiment with some more premium products and his skin started to respond positively. But he couldn't really justify spending $70 or more on personal skincare products. The spark was there to create a brand that offered products that would work just as well as super premium brands, but offered at a much more approachable, relatable price point. After spending time at Bonobos in his early days, he witnessed firsthand what it meant to build a brand around a customer and a consumer. So Huron was built with that same mentality. Today, we look at what it means to truly be confident in your own skin. How Matt went from being in an investment banking to founding what GQ has now named the best men's skincare line in the game. We also talk why men should care about their skin in the first place and how to do so. And if you want to go ahead and see for yourself what Huron is all about, I got you. Go to usehuron.com and use CCAMP20 at checkout to save that money. My personal go-tos have been the shower kit and the hair cream really has been helping. Keeping that flow going up top, matching the flow that I'm getting in this everyday life, you can start doing the same. Go check them out. Can't recommend them enough. Now let's dive into it with Matt here. Matt, welcome to The Athletic Mindset. Excited to jam out with you here, learn a little bit more about the brains behind some of the best skincare products in the game. That'll be our selfish plug for you uh, today. But first and foremost, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Corey. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So background in football at an Ivy League. You played at Brown. How did you get there of all places? Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. And was born in Columbus, moved to Cincinnati when I was four. And we just so happened to move two houses down from the high school football coach my, at my high school. So you know, from, a, from Cincinnati on the Eastern side, which is, you know, a lot of people uh, really lean into Friday nights mm-hmm. uh, going to watch games. So, you know, for as long as I can remember, I was a water boy for all of those teams. Uh, my mom was a member of the football moms club. So Friday nights were pretty sacred in our household. And you know, having the opportunity to play for my dad, he was a defensive coach and I played offense, but um, that was always something that I had wanted to do. Um, and for me, I didn't actually start playing football until fifth grade, I want to say, which was actually mm. pretty late for, for uh, kids in my area. There's a lot of kids who play starting at four and five years old. Um, so I kind of, I played soccer, I played basketball for a long time, played baseball, ran track. Uh, and then when I got to, you know, kind of late elementary school and then into middle school, kind of focused on, on football, basketball and track. But uh, loved every sport. It just depended on what season it was. Uh, yeah. so ended up obviously having the opportunity to, to kind of continue on and play football, which was, which was an amazing opportunity. Um, and when it kind of came down to selecting schools, I just felt that you know, it was very rare for an opportunity to kind of you know, leave Cincinnati, which was, was the only thing I had known at the time, obviously to, to pursue an opportunity, uh, to play at Brown. So it was, a uh, you know, I was very grateful for the opportunity and I had an amazing four years doing it. Yeah. I love uh, the well-roundedness there. We actually share something in common. My dad was my summer swim coach my entire 
career. What was that dynamic like for you? I know you said different sides of the ball that he coached, but was did that bring you guys closer together? Totally. Uh, it, it was just fun to share so many of those experiences together. You know, we were fortunate to, uh, to have a pretty good team. We were 39 and four, my four years of high school, um, which was really cool. Made it to the state playoffs all four years. Um, it was just fun to share those moments. And then mm-hmm. when I ended up playing at Brown, I think my dad made it to all but three games. So he would coach on Friday, hop in a car at like 10 or 11 at night and then drive to Rhode Island. Uh, so, so pretty wild. Um, but it was awesome having him there on, on Saturdays as well to, to watch those games. Albeit the, the crowds were a little bit smaller uh, yeah. Providence in the middle of November than they were uh, <laughs> in Cincinnati on Friday nights. Isn't it amazing the lengths that our parents go to, to support us and go catch games. Unfortunately, I went to Delaware, so it was only about an hour and a half from where I grew up in uh, Maryland. So wasn't as probably far as a drive, but the dedication was still there. Uh, that's awesome. He made it to so many games too. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. What was that transition like out of football for you? Uh, I know you, you traditionally went, or not traditionally, <laughs> you went into investment banking, um, which seems to be the tradition for a lot of Ivy, Ivy League uh, graduates. What was that like for you? What was going on through your head as you made that next decision? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I had no idea what investment banking even meant until I was a junior in college and I was thinking about internships. I think my approach to, to thinking about life after school and graduation and football was to really kind of step back and pattern recognize and say, okay, here are the personalities on the team that I seem to mesh the most with. Mm-hmm. What are they doing after graduation? And kind of the prevailing tracks were consulting and banking. So I, I went through a series of interviews for summer internship positions and landed a job at Morgan Stanley in New York in the summer going into my senior year, uh, which was a great experience for me. Um, although it was probably the world's worst summer intern. Uh, you know, I was obviously very focused on football, but like the, the concept of staying past 10, it was like so foreign to me. And that's usually as an analyst, like when your day is just starting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was definitely something to grapple with. But um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of stepped back as a, as a 21 year old and said like, you know, what does this professional world actually look like? And kind of how do I fit within the grand scheme of things? Mm. I like that approach there too. It's, uh, <laughs> it is funny. It's weird coming from that culture of probably early evenings, early nights because you got practice the next morning and then all of a sudden you're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, I think we talked about it. One of my roommates, Jack, he was in investment banking and as an analyst for a while, and I was blown away that he would get a call at 2 AM and have to go back into work, quote unquote. I was like, what is this? This makes no sense to me. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, again, I was so foreign to me and uh, you know, I, I transitioned perfectly from being the world's worst summer intern to the world's worst uh, full-time investment banking analyst. Uh, It was also the fall of 2008. So the world was melting. So it was coming to work every day being like, okay, this person's getting fired. That person's crying in their office. That person's like throwing stuff against the wall. I'm like, is this like what the professional workforce is (laughs) on a day-to-day basis? Cause this is kind of weird. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I eventually left banking and went to a startup, which is where I kind of started to really kind of carve out this passion for entrepreneurship, especially yeah. in the consumer sphere, but, um, you know, learning the X's and O's and like pulling all nighters and staying late. I think it just kind of recalibrates your perspective a little bit on like what, what is a quote unquote long night for better, or for worse. Um, so I think that kind of instilled in me, like, you know, you can push pretty hard 
Um, mm-hmm. Now, is that sustainable? Probably not, but it certainly opened my eyes to, you know, what it was like to, to not just simply work a nine to five. Yeah. I like that point there of sustainable effort. And I think there's this movement totally in the opposite end of the spectrum of like, Oh, just we'll take it easy. You said it earlier before we started recording of like, yeah, we'll be off at 11 and we'll be able to play some ping pong and tap the keg and just like cheers each other. But it's like, no, we, we got to do work. And I love this notion. I realize now in life post-sport, like how similar life can be to the seasons of like, you got your two days in the summer. You, then you go into like the competition mode, then you go into championship season and then you have your, your downtime afterwards. Would you say that's kind of what you've realized is like, you have this ability to do two a days or all nighters, whatever they may be for a certain period of time. And then how do you now knowing what you know through experience, know when to like say, okay, I know I can work hard, but I need to actually take a step back to become more efficient. Right. Um, it's a really good question. And quite honestly, like that's probably something that I really struggle with is finding that balance and mm. that oscillation of the pendulum. Like it's always moving in one direction or the other, right? Yeah. Maybe over indexing on taking too much of a break or going to too many dinners or hanging out a little bit, or it's 2 a.m. on a Sunday night and you literally haven't left the apartment because we've just been jamming on stuff. So that's probably something that I've struggled the most with. I, uh, I really like the seasons analogy. I say it a little bit different. It's kind of like, like entrepreneurship to me is kind of like running an 800. Mm. Like you're not running a hundred because that's not sustainable. Um, but this isn't really a marathon either. Like we're pushing pretty hard. Um, and there are points of the race that get tough and you're kind of throwing elbows and they kind of stuck, but there's also like elements where you can, you need to kind of chill a bit because you do realize that you know, if you continue to push at a certain pace, it's just simply not sustainable. Yeah. And we're here building something for the long run. So keeping that, you know, not back of mind, but certainly in mind of how to check in on people, host one-on-ones, make sure that people are doing well, because one of the tough things that we've all experienced during COVID is you miss out on a lot of opportunities to read body language. Like mm-hmm. I can't tell when someone's frustrated when they get off Zoom or Google Hangouts, right? So it's, it's that notion of constantly, you know, seeking feedback from people. How are you doing? Like, what'd you do this weekend? What was fun? What's stressing you out? Like, what did you really, really like this week? Like Mm -hmm. I try to ask our team all of those questions weekly in a one-on-one setting, just so we can kind of understand any frustrations and avoid kind of those eruptive moments where things have been suppressed for so long and also kind of come to the surface in an ugly way. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need, especially in the, CEO founder role that you're in and we need this constant feedback so that we can nip these things in the bud early on to your point before they fester I mean nothing's worse than picking your head up nine months or a year down the road a certain track and you're like oh you were unhappy this whole time and the whole project is now over here instead of where we really wanted to go uh, I love that approach of trying to consistently get the feedback and the fact that you're doing it in a one-on-one setting, I think is huge helps with a smaller team, right? hundred <laughs> percent. And it's certainly a two-way street, right? Like yeah. I'm, I'm learning at the same time. Um, you know, I'm certainly providing feedback, but I'm learning about something that I felt went really smoothly during the week that was an utter disaster on the other yeah. side of the table, right? So 
we've really tried to open up the lines of communication as much as we possibly could during COVID. And I'm hoping that that's a key infrastructure piece that we'll be able to kind of carry forward into an office setting. Mm, I like that. One of the things I think is the biggest challenge uh, for high achievers is this balance of being patient towards your goals, but impatient with your action towards them. Similar to your 800 analogy, how are you making sure that you guys at Huron are pushing the tempo, but doing so in a sustainable way and like appreciating the process the whole time? Because you've only been in business for three years at this point, right? Yeah, not even. Actually, our two-year anniversary <laughs> is on Thursday. So Happy two years. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Um, this is a rather in vogue person to quote, but Bezos, I think, has on the slide where it's uh, stubborn on the vision, flexible on the details. Mm. And I think that's like a really interesting way of putting it, which for us is we have to con like we don't need to constantly reinforce what we're doing. Right. Like we're helping guys help themselves. And for me, I'm helping me 10 to 15 years ago in a category that I didn't know anything about but really affected my self-confidence, my sense of self-worth. And, you know, I just didn't really appreciate like who I, who I was in the mirror, which was a terrible mm -hmm. thing to say. Um, so that to me is always the vision. Like we don't depart from that, but where we can be flexible is let's try this marketing initiative. Let's try this brand partnership. How are we doing here? Like let's explore this opportunity. And I think when you have kind of that balance between understanding thoroughly what you're doing and for whom you're doing it for, but being able to test and iterate and learn quickly, um, you know, I think is kind of a good one, two punch. Yeah, no, I, I like the approach there. And I think the fact that the vision is so tied closely to your own story, I think goes a long way. I mean, that's really the best we can speak into, right? Is speaking to the person that we were a year ago, 10 years ago, whatever it may be. Do you mind telling us a little bit about the story of how you yeah. got here and, and sure. why you're so passionate about what you're doing? A great segue. <laughs> uh, yeah. So after, uh, after some time um, as an investment banking analyst at Morgan Stanley, I ended up leaving to join Bonobos, which is a men's e-commerce mm. business that sold to Walmart in 2017. Uh, so I was employee six there, which was, which was crazy to think that I went from this like you know, global institution, which was this massive investment bank with, you know, a Times Square skyscraper to a studio apartment on 16th and 6th in New York, surrounded by colorful khaki pants, right? So it, it was definitely, uh, definitely a change. Um, but it was an awesome atmosphere. I mean, it was a bunch of hard charging folks who understood the mission, mm -hmm. uh, who were empathetic towards the end consumer. And you know, everyone worked really hard. Everyone had their own kind of area of expertise, air quotes. Um, you know, I was a, a finance analyst and ops analyst, but I also spent five hours a day packing pants and boxes and sprinting to FedEx, right? So it was kind of like an all hands on deck at all times. Uh, but that for me was a really, really eye-opening experience. And I think from that, I took a step back and, and said, you know, I really admire some of the senior folks that I have the opportunity to work with on a day-to-day -day basis. What did they do from a career path perspective that I can kind of emulate? And so from there, I ended up actually moving to Chicago. I went back into investment banking with a much clearer sight of like, okay, this mm -hmm. will be a few years thing. It's going to help me get to the next thing, which will eventually snowball and get me to the next thing, hopefully. So that was kind of the plan. So 
worked at UBS for a few years in Chicago, then transitioned to a consumer private equity fund where we were investing in brands and businesses kind of similar to Bonobos. And that's really where I got exposure to the broader personal care beauty sector, um, which for us at the time, we were looking at a lot of brands kind of marketing to the female consumer. So a lot mm-hmm. of traditional beauty brands. And I was probably 25, 26 at the time, just kind of taking a step back thinking, okay, these businesses are run by amazing founders and entrepreneurs. It's an amazing product. The packaging is sweet. The website's amazing. And here I am shopping for body wash at CVS every month. Like I buy Gatorade, right? It's either the red top or the blue top this month. Mm -hmm. And I just felt the disconnect was huge. So I'd kind of earmarked that as like, okay, this is a category that I would definitely want to explore, but you know, a bit further down the road. I think on a personal basis, what was interesting is I was, you know, to my earlier point, I was a kid that grew up with bad skin, right? So Mm -hmm. whether it was taking on a football helmet on and off a thousand times a season or sprinting to an AAU basketball game or getting in the blocks for track meet, like I was a very healthy, active person, but I didn't feel like my skin reflected that. Mm -hmm. And I struggled from, you know, the day, the time I was kind of like 12, 13 years old, really into my late twenties. And literally tried everything, like anything you would find on shelf at uh, a drugstore, grocery store, pharmacy, you name it, um, all the way to sitting in those terrible dermatologist offices where everything is sterile and white and you just feel like a, a, a lab species of some sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing worked. And finally, when, after my time in Chicago, I went out west for, for grad school um, and walked into uh, you know, a, a quote unquote prestige skincare store and spent way too much money on a bottle of face wash. But for whatever reason, that product seemed to work and I enjoyed using the product. I personally didn't know anyone who would appreciate that journey or for whom it would resonate with, right? Like mm-hmm. it's super awkward. You're spending way too much money, uh, a bunch of words. I had no idea what they meant, um, but I liked the output. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the early genesis, which was, could you recreate the efficacy, um, the scientific approach, the cleanliness of the ingredients um, of some of those like super prestige brands and bring that product through the medium of relatability, through real talk, through first person experience to a much broader audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, you know, timeframe wise is kind of like late 2017, early 2018, we actually built and launched a fake brand. So build a URL, build a website and ran social media campaigns all across the country to figure out like, does this thing actually have legs? Uh, had some tremendous results from that. And ended up moving from San Francisco, where I was living at the time, back to New York to get started. I was very fortunate when I got back to New York, I ended up meeting, who's now my, my co-founder, uh, Matt, who spent um, almost two decades developing product at Estee Lauder. So he had 12 brands reporting into him. He had spent mm. years working on the men's grooming space. Um, and he, he was kind of like the person that I needed from a formulation side that the brand needed, quite honestly to get off the ground and in a way that we wanted in a position that we wanted to be in. So we teamed up kind of early to mid 2018, spent the rest of 18 and 19 building product, uh, building the brand and then launched, you know, like, like I said, July 29th of, of 2019. Um, we've remained super lean as a team. So only, only four folks today, but, but actively hiring for a few more positions. Um, and it's, and it's been a, a ton of fun, I, you know, obviously not without frustrations and <laughs> pain points, but learning a ton as we go and still kind of maniacally focused on who that end consumer is, because likely it was me seven to 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in that story that I appreciate. I think we, when we first connected, I was, I shared about 
coming from the swimming background, I was always dry scan like 24 seven, like it, nothing is worse than I think sitting in class and your skin's freaking itchy. And you're like, why isn't this Irish spring or old spice body wash doing it for me? Uh, and then to your other point, it's like, well, the other end of the spectrum, it's like, I'm a college kid. Like I'm not going to spend hundreds of dollars on skincare products. Like that's not a value of me as a, a college male, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I love that you have found this in between there Would would love to know what, it, what has been some of the biggest struggles in the past two years as you guys have been getting this off the ground and how have you guys gotten through them? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think some of it kind of doubles back to what we talked about earlier. Like mm. never did I imagine having to go remote, you know, 17 months ago, 16 yeah. months ago, right? I mean, this here on this brand is meant to be built in person. Like, even throughout the pandemic, I was doing city bike deliveries in New York, where you literally like hop a city bike and like go deliver packages like in person all across the city because I wanted to say thank you in person or mm-hmm. drop off something in person because I, I felt that that humanization of a brand is what people actually wanted to see. Like people appreciate good packaging, they appreciate a good web experience, they appreciate good product. But when you can show them kind of the nuts and bolts and what's happening under the hood of a, of a brand and a business at its early stage, like I think mm-hmm. people actually really, really gravitate towards that. So the more we've been able to lean into that with some of these non-scalable opportunities, the more we've seen, you know, growth and scale. Mm-hmm. So I think to, you know, to force the team, well, you know, obviously exogenous factors, but <laughs> to force the team to say like, Hey, like we're going to have to do the remote thing. And like yeah. everyone else, you just kind of figure it out. Um, so that's definitely been you know, a, a challenge that I feel like we've, we've overcome well. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, honestly, like that, that's probably the biggest challenge that we faced and I'm sure many brands yeah. faced, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, uh, obviously there's, there, there's plenty of things along the way as well, but I think, if, you know, if there's the, if there's the elephant in the room, that's certainly it. I was about to say, I love how you haven't forgotten your Bonobos roots there of uh, delivering the pack, the product to the consumer. I love the humanization piece, though, there. I think, to your point, that goes such a long way. I've started getting into apparel myself and have been making sure I'm taking the time to write a handwritten note. Um, for better or for worse, people are ordering from all over the country, so I can't go hand deliver these things sure. to them. But I think that that goes a long way. We're seeing a movement now where... The consumer is really buying from human stories and the brands that are able to tell a good story and they see themselves in that storyline. And I think to your point of your story, so many people can see themselves in that. I mean, I know I do. So how are you guys continuing to make sure, even as you're growing and scaling, that that story stays at the forefront of what you guys are doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think that it's just embedded in our DNA. Like mm. I think we operate at this really interesting intersection between really amazing product quality, but relatability. And I think the relatability piece is just so, so important. Mm. And that permeates itself throughout a number of factors of our brand. It's the extent at which we drill into copy, whether it's social copy, email mm-hmm. copy, web copy, we're like, would we ever text this to someone if we would never text it? It can't fit. It doesn't fit. Mm. Um, I think there's this simplicity 
married with this informative approach that people have really seemed to gravitate towards, which has been awesome. Um, so I just, I, I think that notion of relatability and having it be at the forefront of literally every single thing that we do from photo shoots to, like I said, writing web copy to like hiring, like we ask a lot of questions around empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why does this space matter to you? What, why is here on the best fit for you? Um, you know, really drilling into those questions because that is such an important factor of who we are as a brand that it's it just something we're not willing to kind of capitulate, capitulate from. Like mm-hmm. this will be a core infrastructural pillar for us for hopefully as long as we exist as a brand. Yeah, I mean, take it back to sports, right? It's building that foundational piece in preseason. In, yep. Even though, I mean, how many times during August were you like, I really just wish we didn't have the second practice today or do whatever, you know? Um, but you, you kind of, quote unquote, sucked it up and you saw the, the value in the bigger picture. It's not cutting corners. It's not taking that shortcut. And you know that it's going to pay off in the long run. Are you already seeing that kind of pay dividends so far? I mean, two years in, but. A hundred percent. I mean, I think it's, it's evident in a number of different factors across the brand, whether it's the amount of repeat behavior we have from existing customers, the amount of word of mouth that happens mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Like when we ask, how'd you hear about Huron? It's, it's a shockingly high number. It's like, Oh, a friend told me or a friend gave me a bottle. Or, I mean, we have multiple subscribers who will literally give out every other package, but they just, they enjoy telling people about the brand so much, which is mm-hmm. which an awesome. Um, I mean, we have a community of upwards of a thousand customers who purchased from us uh, that have opted into helping think about copy, positioning, new product launches, uh, packaging chain, like really anything under the sun. And the, the opt-in rates and the engagement that we get from some of these initiatives are like insanely high, mm-hmm. which I mean, at the end of the day, like we're a personal care company, right? Yeah. It's just so to think that people are taking the time of the day to answer this 10 question type form or to fill out this poll or do this survey. I mean, we're extremely appreciative, but I also think it's, it's a little bit of a tip of the cap to how much people have enjoyed our products, but also just kind of like our niche within the market, which is again, hopefully a very down to earth, relatable mm-hmm. company that people can, you know, feel proud to, to be a part of. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, it goes down to the experience that you're providing the customer, right? Like the whole end goal is clearer skin, more confident in your day-to-day body, which I think confidence is kind of one of those hard things to sell, like we've talked about before, but it seems to be converting. At least the people that have bought into the products are, to your point, really, really bought in. Uh, so I think that's incredible, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even just to piggyback off that point for a bit, I mean, in 2014, I had a boss ask me like, hey, are you going to do anything about that? Like pointing to my face, like referring to my acne, like because yeah. I can't you on meetings anywhere. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, so like, as we think about developing these products, it, it is as much of a physical piece. Like, do I look better? Mm-hmm. Um, do I smell better, et cetera, as it is an emotional piece, right? Like I feel better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, that's an, that's an important tandem because if we can give this guy a little bit more pep in his step as he's walking out of his house or apartment to 
go across that client presentation or have a great first date or do what have you and not be so worried about other factors, like that's a huge win for us. Um, and we never lose sight on that. And I think, again, that's kind of, kind of some of the core DNA stuff that's built into that notion of relatability, which is like, we've been there, it sucks. Mm -hmm. um, how can we help you help yourself? Yeah, you don't realize how much of that like daily brain power goes to those little things, you know what I mean? And you see it now with mental health being at the forefront, fortunately, of athletics for the first time in a while. Um, I mean, as we're sitting here recording this, like a few hours ago, Simone Biles just, you know, withdrew herself from the team competition for similar uh, reasons, among others, but mental health being one of the forefronts of it. It's like, I feel like people to your point of your boss in 2014, like he doesn't fully understand the extent of like what totally. the acne is doing to you um, on the inside. Like, yes, it's a manifestation to the outer world, but what, like, how is that actually affecting you on the day to day? It's taking up all of this brain power. It's taking up a lot. So if we're able to address that in some way or another, whether it is a physical product, whether it's doing deep emotional work, whatever it may be, it, it's freeing. It, you feel lighter. You have that lighter balance in your step. It goes a long way. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, what's, what's the long-term vision for you guys or for you um, as a human being, not just as a founder and everything here? Yeah. I mean, I think we'll continue to, to grow and build and scale here on um, as thoughtfully as we can. And what I mean by mm. that is this is a business. It's not just a high flying brand that hopes to spend a ton of money acquiring eyeballs on Facebook. And then you will never hear from us again. I think what we're trying to do is actually lay the foundation because we operate in a category that for a lot of guys, they haven't switched up their products in 10, 15, 20 years, if ever. Mm -hmm. So to think about like what that customer stickiness is from a business standpoint is super exciting. But I think that's also, so that's our biggest opportunity, but it's also our biggest hurdle. Yeah. How do we get you to try us out? How do we get you to overcome that autopilot purchasing behavior? Um, so for us like that, that's certainly what we're focused on in the near and, uh, you know, intermediate terms, but you know, long-term look, we'll continue to build this where we're going to hope to grow and scale the team. Um, and, you know, and kind of circling back to our, our, where we started with this conversation, my high school football coach used to say, if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. So mm. yes, we have an idea of like, of, uh, you know, we'd love to exit and what and whatnot, but we're in the trenches now. Yeah. So we're focused on, you know, getting the Huron name out there. We're focused on building the team. We're focused on finding those A plus players to take us to the next level. And I feel like if we can continue to chalk up wins in a bunch of these key early milestones, if you will, then things will progressively start to, to work in our favor. And, you know, hopefully the bigger things will take care of themselves. Yeah. You can't win state. You can't win the championship by only being focused on that. So it's, yeah, it's being flexible with the day to day, but having that clear vision, man, I, I absolutely love it. I want to, ask you the fast five. So they're one sentence, one word answers to just go rapid fire here. Um, the first one is what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? Power of habit. I read oh, it every year. 
I like that one. I like that one. Number two is what's your go-to podcast that you're jamming out to that no one's heard of? I'm pretty sure a lot of people have heard of it, but I really enjoy it all in. Nice. Nice. Um, number three is what is a quote that you live by? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, that's a really tough one. Well, I mean, I guess it could be twofold. We talked about the Bezos quote earlier, which I think is very applicable to what mm. we're building here on. But I also think like, you know, the take care of the little things, and the big things that take care of themselves, right? I mean, there's so many, there's so many things that are out of our control on a daily basis. So again, whether it's life, work, what have you, like you try and take care and excel at the things that are in your control. And then, you know, you're kind of at peace with anything else that happens after that. Yeah, I love that. Number four is what's something that you can't live without? I have to exercise in the mornings. Um, I'm just total mental mashed potatoes if I don't do anything. Uh, so I think for my, my sanity, but probably more important, my wife's sanity, uh, she would <laughs> also appreciate if I did something every morning as well. How do you, as this will take a time out on the, the fast five. One, what do workouts look like for you? And two, like, how are you making sure that becomes a non-negotiable in the morning? Yep. Really good question. Um, I think I conditioned myself from college that like, this is something that's just very, very important to me and whether mm -hmm. I'm working 97 hour days or not, like I'm doing something in the mornings to better myself, clear my brain, help my body. Um, so I think that's just kind of a total non-negotiable in terms of what I'm doing today. Uh, I started doing CrossFit in 2010. So quite a long time ago. Um, I love it, but I also just got acceptance today in the New York marathon. So we'll probably be running a lot more. Uh, so definitely excited for that, but, but really enjoy being in a gym, being in a box, doing the CrossFit thing, but also running as well, mm -hmm. which means I suck at both. Um, <laughs> Cause every time I get strong, I'm like, Oh, I need to run more and then vice versa. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of that pendulum, but, but really enjoyed both of those activities. But I say it's nothing wrong now with being mediocre at both, right? <laughs> if you need help getting good at both, let me know. Um, that's that's where my background expertise comes from. But number five, back back to uh, the fast five here is what's your one word focus at this point in time? One word focus? Yeah. What do you mean by that? So if you could boil down to whatever you're focused on right now to just Got one it. word, what's that intention look like? I would say intentionality. Perfect. <laughs> I think that goes a long way. It's the common one I see with a lot of athletes, especially is we're so used to, it's only on the calendar if there's intention behind it, right? Like your time is at such a premium, especially playing at the D one level where if you don't see the intention and the value behind it, why are you doing it? Totally. It's like, it's like going through the motions, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of what sport you're playing. Like why even go through the motions if you're going through the motions? Either you do it at full speed and you do it with intentionality, you just really just don't do it. And to your point around time, I mean, it's, it's the most scarce form of currency, right? We only get mm -hmm. a finite amount of it. So yeah, I, whether it's like weeding through calendars and just nixing calls or mapping out the day ahead, like I think that organizational approach, um, you know, it's beneficial, whether you're on a field, whether you're in a gym, whether you're selling body wash. Yeah. Uh, and I think that kind of doubles back to intentionality as well. Yeah. I think to being clear on that vision 
and stubborn towards it almost uh, allows you to weed through those things a lot easier. Uh, it's a challenge, I think, when people first stop sport because they lose that vision. Like it was a clear filter for so long of, all right, well, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. So yes, I'm going to say yes to this and I'm going to say no to that. But now when you're kind of in this free world of growing a business, I mean, how many coffee requests do you have and events here, events there, phone calls, you have to be respective of that time. So with that being said, Matt, I appreciate your time for coming on here and jamming out with me a little bit. I uh, just want to acknowledge you for the way that you're showing up and the way that you're being intention, intentional with what you're building. I definitely notice it. Uh, where can those listening in find more of you, find more of you on and check out all the work that you guys are doing? Yeah. Thanks so much, Corey. Appreciate it. Uh, our work socials are just at use here on across every single platform known to mankind. Um, and then I'm pretty easy to track down. I'm just mad at use here if you want to shoot me an email. I mean, I think my whole perspective on this is like, I've gotten to the place I am today because of so many people have helped along mm-hmm. the way. And I would certainly not be in this chair if it weren't for them. So I certainly enjoy the, the, you know, the, strategic think sessions and whatnot that I can certainly help pay forward and and, and help others. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Appreciate you joining us today. There's so much we learn when we sit down and have an open conversation with people like Matt. I encourage you to share this conversation with someone close to you and form an accountability pact to continue to grow because together we can go far. Remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life one thought at a time. I will see you all on Monday as we talk all things sleep for better performance on a consistent basis. 